Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible, open it with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So this past week, um, we were out. We were on a cruise. It was our first cruise to go on with um, our family. I went on one in high school, but I don't really count that because I don't remember it. Um, But we went on a cruise this past week. And as we were on the cruise, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but um, have you ever been in the middle of the ocean at night? That's That's a new level of dark. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you've ever been on a cruise or something like that, like it is, there's not a light anywhere, anywhere on the horizon or anything. You can't even really tell what's the sea and what's the sky outside of the stars being there. And if you're not careful, it'll creep you out. (laughs) And it happened to me, right? And it's just kind of a creepy feeling if you just stand in there and you just start to think about like, man, we're just out here. And there's nowhere, uh, no, nothing in sight. No one even knows that we're here. I'm sure that they do on radar and things like that. But, like, we're just out here. And so you just try not to think about it a whole lot. You just go in and eat an ice cream cone or a pizza buffet or something like that on a cruise. But it's a creepy feeling, right? It just makes you realize how small, how helpless that you are. Have you ever experienced something like that? Maybe you've been on a cruise or, or maybe you've just been, like, in a dark room that's, like, one of those super dark, like, can't see your hand in front of your face kind of a thing. Darkness is kind of creepy, and I realize I'm a grown man saying that, um, but, the, but the dark is kind of creepy, like if we're, if we're honest, and there's a lot of relief whenever some light breaks in, isn't there? Even if it's just like the little LED light on your, on your cell phone, just a little bit of light just kind of calms the, calms the creepiness and, the, and whatever's going on inside of us. Light is a major theme in Scripture, and so is darkness, but we're talking today about light. John opens his book talking about light. I want you to see it. John chapter 1, John is describing Jesus actually as the light. John chapter 1, look how many times he uses the word light here in the first few verses. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. That's great news. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He, John, wasn't the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Sounds almost Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? Like he uses the word light like 50 times right there. It's a big deal, right? And then you get to John chapter eight, and here's our one verse we're talking about today. John chapter eight, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. It's so short, I want us to read it again. Let's read it again, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is a huge statement. Again, one verse is all we're talking about, but I have a lot to say about it this morning. It's a major theme, light is, in the book of John, but it's also a major theme throughout Scripture. Uh, Two major ones in the Old Testament. The first one's easy. In Genesis chapter 1, there was nothing. Whenever God created it all, in the beginning page, the first page of the Bible, right, uh, it says that the earth was formless and it was dark, that there was nothing here. 
And then God spoke, Genesis 1-3. He spoke and his word goes out into the darkness and brings light, right? So it's a massive moment there. And then there's this big prophecy, this messianic prophecy that happens in Isaiah chapter nine, talking about light. It says this, talking about the coming Messiah, the one that would come to save us from our sin problem. It says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And so all throughout the Bible, this theme of darkness and light is a major theme And Isaiah told us that the Messiah is coming. He's going to be a light that shines into the darkness. And then Jesus shows up and says, I am the light of the world. It's a huge statement. It's even bigger, though, whenever you understand the setting of the statement. And that's what I want to show you here, the setting or the context of what's happening. Do you remember a couple weeks ago um, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life? We talked all about how in that story, Jesus was referencing back to the Old Testament story when they were in the wilderness and God made them breakfast every morning called manna. We talked about how he's like cinnamon toast crunch all over the ground every morning they woke up. Remember that? And, and Jesus was saying in that moment, I am the bread of life. I bring life, not just life that'll keep you breathing and, and functioning, but life that is zoe, right? Meaning and purpose and quality of life. That's what I come to bring. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of the manna thing that happened back in Exodus. That's what Jesus was saying there. He's doing the same thing with this statement, talking about I am the light. That's what he's doing. See, in John chapter seven and eight, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at the temple for what's called the Feast of Shelters. All right, the Feast of Shelters. It kind of sets the whole context for this thing. What that is, it was, it was, it was basically a week-long camp out where God had told them to live in tents or shelters that were man-made for a week in order to remember what God did for them in the wilderness journey. This is the story of Exodus, right? It's whenever the people were freed from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. God brings them out of that slavery. He parts the Red Sea so that they can walk through. He closes the Red Sea on the Egyptian army, saves them, and then they spend 40 years walking in the wilderness. You remember that? And so the, the, the Feast of Shelters was to remember how God provided for them in the wilderness. And one of the major ways that he provided for them is he was there with them in the form of a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night, okay? He was a pillar of fire at night and he was guiding them on their journey. The whole 40 years they were there. And so in this Feast of Shelters, a couple of things um, they would do during this week, big, big ceremonies and sacrifices. One of them was to remember how in the wilderness, God um, gave them water to drink. They're in the wilderness, in the desert. They, they didn't have water. In fact, that was one of their major complaints as soon as they crossed the Red Sea is, we're going to die of thirst. And, and Moses strikes the rock and God brings water out of the rock in Numbers chapter 20. And so at the Feast of Shelters in Jerusalem, They're celebrating what God did there and and they did this ceremony where they would bring water from the pool of Siloam and dump it over this rock, okay? And it's there as they're pouring the water over this rock in the Feast of Shelters that Jesus says this in John chapter seven, verse 37. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, if you don't know about this whole Feast of Shelters thing, them pouring water on this rock, that seems random. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you understand, they're literally pouring water over this rock to remember how God provided water in the desert 
And Jesus is now saying, I am the true living water. I am the, if, you, if you're thirsty, come to me and you're going to have streams of living water flowing from up deep inside of you. It seems random, but it's not. What he's saying is that whole water from the rock thing points to me. And he's doing the same thing here in John chapter 8, talking about light. See, there, there's a whole section there talking about the adulterous woman that was brought to Jesus. Um, she was brought to him. If you remember that story, it's one of the most uh, well-known stories of, of Jesus. And this woman was caught in the act of adultery. This is how chapter 8 starts. And they bring her in. They, it says that they were trying to trap Jesus, right? So she was caught in the act of adultery. Moses says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Right? And Jesus bends down, writes in the sand, and then he says, if anyone is without sin, let them cast the first stone, and they all start leaving one by one. Now, in your Bible, you probably see a couple brackets around that story. And it probably says, unless you have the King James Version or the New King James Version, if you have a newer one, it probably says that the earliest manuscripts don't contain that story. Right? And so here's what's happening with that. I don't have time to get into a ton of it, um, but the earliest Greek translations or the, the copies, we don't have any of the, uh, the, like we don't have the exact pages that John wrote on. Can you imagine if we did, how much you'd have to pay to go see that somewhere? Um, but what, what we have is 5,000 plus copies of, of copies, right? And those copies don't contain uh, that story. The people that I read and trust the most say that, that that story is completely real. It happened, and it can be preached as truth and whatnot, but John probably didn't write it, and it probably doesn't go right there at the beginning of chapter eight, right? It goes maybe in Luke or something like that, and we don't know, but the point is, if you were to take that story out, when Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world, right after he just said, I am the water from the rock, it makes a lot of sense, Right, because what he's doing here in John chapter eight, verse twelve, is he—it's again—it seems random just to stand up randomly and just say, "I am the light of the world," but it's not random at all. You got to see not only what he says, but where he's saying it. Verse twenty says that he's sitting outside of the treasury. All right, so he's in the temple and he's outside of the treasury. This is a very specific place in the temple known as the court of women. Um, right outside of the, of the treasury. And, and in that area, there were these four massive lampstands. I got a picture here I want you to see. Um, this is an artist rendering depiction of it. Um, but there would be four of these giant lampstands there in the court of women outside of the treasury, and that's where Jesus is standing. And during this festival, this uh, Feast of Shelters, on the last night, a priest would climb up and he would light those lamps on fire. And what he's doing, just as the pouring the water over the rock thing was signifying Jesus or God bringing water from the rock, when they light those, they are remembering, they're illustrating how God led the people through the wilderness by a pillar of fire, all right? And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's standing under those. He's standing under these things where they are remembering how God was there with them in the wilderness as a pillar of fire, and Jesus is standing under it now saying, I am the light of the world. And so we can understand what Jesus means whenever he says, I am the light of the world, by looking back at the wilderness journey and seeing what that pillar of fire represented then and how Jesus is saying, I am the greater fulfillment of that pillar of fire in the wilderness. So I think he's shown us three things here that the, that the pillar of fire... The cloud of smoke did for the people in the wilderness journey, and now Jesus is saying, I'm the better version 
of that. I am the light of the world. Number one, he's saying he is the presence of God. He is the presence of God. In the book of Exodus, we're gonna draw our eyes back and see this cloud of smoke, this pillar of fire, and we're gonna see what Jesus is saying through it. In Exodus 13, it'll be on the screen for you, says this, as they, as they cross the Red Sea, right? They're in the wilderness. It says, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of these people. So here's the point. This is the visible presence of God in their midst. It's not metaphor, it's not theory. They could literally see this cloud of smoke, this pillar of fire, right? And so his presence was there with them. He never left them is what verse 22 says. So if you think about how scared they probably were, right? They just left 400 years of slavery. Escaping slavery is a death sentence, especially from the most powerful country in the world, right? And so they're scared, but think about the comfort it must have been to be able to literally any time, 24-7 for 40 years, look up and go, there's God, he's still with us. <laughs> His presence is right here with us. And now, as they're at the Feast of Shelters and they're lighting these lamps and they're remembering how God did that for them, Jesus stands under those lamps and he declares, I am now the visible presence of God in your midst. I am the visible presence of God. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we observed his glory. That's what John says. We could see him, right? We could, we could see him. So the point Jesus is making here is we don't need a pillar of fire anymore because we have Jesus. He is with us. In fact, that's what Matthew calls him, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so believer, you need to know that, that Christ is with you, but Paul says in Colossians, he's also in you. Did you know that? Colossians 1:27, the glorious wealth of this whole mystery of the gospel thing, which is Christ in you. And that's the hope of glory, Paul says. So he is present right here with you. Right here with you. So just as the pillar of fire never left its place, Exodus 13 says, the presence of God is always with you through Jesus Christ. In fact, that was one of his last words that he said, Matthew 28, 20. Uh, it's a great commission. Whenever he says, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, he says, and remember this, I am with you always, even to the very ends of the age. He promises his presence to us. So whatever you're facing, wherever you are in life, you need to know that he's there and he's present. And that's what Jesus is saying whenever he says, I am the light of the world. He's promising the presence of God. Number two, he's promising the protection of God, the protection of God. So back in the wilderness journey, the Egyptians are chasing the Israelite people, right? They're, they're trying to recapture them. They're trying to kill them. And in this glorious moment, that pillar of, of fire moves behind the people, moves behind the Israelite army and separates them from those that are chasing them to kill them. He protects them. Look at it, Exodus 14, 
19. Then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night and neither group came near the other all night long. Just before this, Moses asked the people, he says, are you scared? Like, of course we're scared. They're chasing us. And he says this, you just need to be quiet. The Lord will fight for you. In this moment, that pillar of fire moves behind them. It separates them from the ones that are trying to kill them. God is guarding and protecting his people here. And just as God protected the Israelites, Jesus is now saying he's coming to do the same for us. He's coming to protect us from darkness. He says that in verse 12, our main verse for today. Jesus spoke to them. He says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have, that is possessive, the light of life. See, he is protecting us from darkness. Protecting us from darkness. The light and dark all throughout scripture, I told you, is a major theme. It really could be thought of as good versus evil. Sin versus holiness, right? And throughout the pages of, of scripture, darkness represents sin. And in John three nineteen, it says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. That darkness is, it, we, we love it. We, we walk away from the light. We love the darkness. In John 8, 24, Jesus says just a few verses after our main verse today, he says, I told you this, that you're gonna die in your sins. You're gonna die in it. And that is the bad news of the gospel, that our sin, our darkness that is inside of us separates us from a holy God. We can't have relationship with him and walk in darkness. And so Jesus comes to this earth, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we observed his glory so that he could come on a rescue mission and be the light in the darkness and save us from it, protect us from it. He goes to a Roman cross and he dies. He became the sacrifice for your sin. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he's God, proving he has power over sin and death forever. And, and, and John is just saying, I'm writing all of this so that you would believe that. And that by believing, you would have life. And that's the invitation of the gospel, that the darkness of the sin in your life separates you from God, but the light burst in to protect you from the darkness. And some of you need to do that today. Some of you have been playing games way too long where you're just running from the light of Christ. You're still walking in darkness, and today he's calling you out of it. He's saying it's time to walk in the light. It's time to trust me. It's time to believe in me. In John 8, 12, our main verse it clearly tells us that Jesus is the light. There's only one. There's only one. Everyone needs him and only him. And it says that in that light, we find life. It's the same word that he used about the bread, zoe. In him, in the light is life that brings meaning and purpose and quality of life to you. And so the invitation, straight from Jesus himself, John 12, 46 Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. And you can do that this morning. And in our text in chapter eight, verse 30 says, a lot of people did it then. Look at verse 30. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. That's the whole point of John, John 20, 31. 
I'm writing these things so that you would believe that he is the Messiah and that by believing you would have Zoe life, All right? That's the invitation. But we're not just protected from darkness in the eternal sense, that one day I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. That is true and that is glorious and we praise God for it. But he's also protecting us from darkness now. Like right now. Our main verse, verse 12, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. See, walking implies some, some persistence. Walking implies you're, you're in it. It implies some longevity. You understand that? Like you're, you're walking on this path. John, the writer of, of this book, says again in his later book, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is he saying? He's not saying that you and I will never sin. We know that's not true. <laughs> you probably experienced that on the ride to church this morning, right? The kids are acting crazy and you lost your mind, right? So we're going to sin, even as believers in Jesus. But what he is saying is that we should not walk in sin. There should not be persistence. There should not be longevity to our sin. Listen, if you are his, you should not find yourself walking in sin. In Christ, we are freed from the power of sin, Romans 6, 18 says. So here's some good news. Darkness does not overcome light. In fact, John says that in John 1, 5. Darkness does not overcome light. You've never opened your front door at nighttime and the darkness just invaded the whole room, did it? No, whenever you open your door, the light from the room invades the darkness. Darkness does not overcome light. And in the same way, the light of Christ has invaded the darkness and the darkness did not overcome him. And so the encouragement here, as he is our protection from the darkness, is to live in the light of Christ. Live in the light of Christ daily. Choose to walk in the light. Fight back the darkness. Confess it. Repent. Turn away from those things that you're walking in that are darkness. Surround yourself with brothers and sisters who are, as Jesus calls us, children of the light. We surround ourselves with a church family, with a small group of people who we are linking arms with and saying, I'm walking with you. You're walking with me. If you fall, I'm picking you up. If I fall, you're picking me up. Like we are linked together. We are children of the light and we are following Christ together. That's what it means to live in the light of Christ. I want to encourage you to do that. Man, if you're not in a small group, you got to get in one. You just have to. It's crucial for your journey with, with Christ. I promise you that. And we have so many options for you to do that. You can find them on our website or I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But surround yourself with other brothers and sisters who, who Christ calls us children of the light. And we say, man, we're gonna chase after Jesus together. That's what we're doing. We're gonna link arms and we're gonna chase after Jesus. So 
As Jesus is standing under those lamps and he's saying, if we're gonna remember what God did in the wilderness through the pillar of fire and all that, he's saying, I am the light of the world, I'm the presence of God, I'm the protection of God. Number three, he says, I am the guidance of God. Guidance. Exodus 40, this is how the book of Exodus closes. This is the last, last few lines. It says, the Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud was of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and there was a fire inside the cloud by night visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. Every day for 40 years, they're following that cloud. They're following that pillar of fire. And if it stays, they stay. If it moves, they move. Every single day for 40 years, God was guiding their every move and step. Doesn't that sound awesome? Like, don't you just wish that there was this cloud that you just had to follow? And you just knew that that was the will of God and you're just gonna follow it? That seems pretty easy, right? Well, we don't have a cloud or a pillar of fire, but we do have something better. We have Christ and we have the spirit of God inside of us. And there's truth in this that, that light brings guidance. Light brings guidance. Have you ever wondered uh, through the house at night when it's pitch black, there's no lights on, it's completely dark? That's a dangerous thing, isn't it? It's terrible. You end up stepping all on all kinds of stuff, stepping on Legos and whatnot. Have you ever hit your little pinky toe on, on, on something really hard and you feel like, I, I'm pretty sure I just ripped that thing off? You ever done that? You wait a couple seconds, like I'm not even gonna grab it because I know like it's not there. I just feel it, it's not, it's not there <laughs> anymore. It's terrible walking in the darkness. And that's how Jesus describes those who are walking through life without him. He says in John 12, 35, uh, the one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. Lost. No guidance. Just wandering through the dark. But in that moment, like you flick on a light switch, well, you can see now. Everything's, everything's better. You're not gonna willingly step on a Lego, are you? That's terrible. Nobody does that. Light makes our steps clear and it exposes the danger, right? It makes our steps clear and it exposes danger. C.S. Lewis says this. It says, I believe in Christ as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. When you wake up in the morning, you don't have to look and find the sun in the sky to see if it's risen, do you? You just see everything's lit up and you know that the sun has come up. And C.S. Lewis is saying, that's how I believe in Christ as well. Not because I technically see him, but because through him I see everything else. Light makes our steps clear. And Jesus, that's what he's saying, I've come to be the guidance of God. And how he actually does that for us, we don't have this pillar of fire anymore, but we do have his word. And he guides us through this world by his word. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Like, do you understand the treasure that this book is? That it is literally your flashlight in this crazy and dark world. The psalmist says that it's the light to our path. It guides us in the darkness and it's through this that God himself will speak to you and he'll guide you on your journey. My question is, do you use it? Do you treasure it? Do you understand the worth of it? 
Light makes our steps clear. And so we follow him, we follow his word, but not only does it make our steps clear, light exposes the darkness. It exposes the danger in our life. It exposes sin in us. Ephesians 5.13, Paul says, everything exposed by the light is made visible. And so in him, when we walk in him, and he's gonna expose those deep, dark things in our life that need to go. The light's gonna break in. It's gonna expose those things. And as you're in the word, and as you're with fellow believers in the church, you're gonna have those things exposed in your life, and that is a good thing. That is the grace of God in your life so that you don't find yourself persistently walking in sin, walking in darkness, right? And so we walk in the light of Christ. Why? Because in him we see. Like we see. And so as we're closing out, just to kind of summarize this statement that Jesus is making here, this massive statement, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life massive statement. Jesus is saying in him, the presence of God, just as real as it was for the Israelites walking in the wilderness is real for us. The protection of God, just as God protected them from the Egyptian army and Moses said, are you afraid? You just need to be still because God himself is going to fight for you. That protection is yours in Christ and the guidance of God, just as he was with them every single day for 40 years night or day is available to you right now. That's what he's saying. It's available to us today. And so in that truth, I would just ask you, ask yourself these questions. Do you see his presence in your life? Like when you look at your life, do you see the presence of God in your life? John is clear that you can by believing trusting in him that's the invitation to you if you if you don't know him if you're walking in Christ walking in darkness turn to the light right you can know him you can have the presence of God in your life another question are you walking in the protection of the light or do you find yourself walking in darkness are you following his guidance are you in the word are you are you trusting him to guide your steps these things are all Implied by the statement Jesus is making here, I am the light of the world. But as we close, I want to draw your eyes back to the setting of where Jesus is making this statement. I want to, I want to draw your eyes back to where Jesus is standing, and he's standing under those giant lamps outside of the treasury. And he's standing there, and he makes this statement, I am the light of the world. And it was said that, that the temple set at the highest point in Jerusalem. And these lamps went way above the wall. So they are actually the highest point in Jerusalem. And what was said is that these lamps, when they were lit, lit up all of Jerusalem. But Jesus stands there and he says, I am the light, not just of Jerusalem, of the world. Of the world, right? One of the cool things about being on that cruise ship this week um, was being surrounded by all of the different countries and cultures that were represented. If you've ever been on a cruise or, or something, you probably know what I'm talking about, but like the whole staff, they're from different countries and it's really awesome just to get to talk to them and hear their story. And not just the staff, but other passengers as well. Like in, in, in a sense, like the world is represented on this little floating city in the middle of the ocean. You know what I'm talking about? And so as I was 
standing there that night on the balcony thinking about just how dark it was, kind of getting creeped out by, by the darkness and how good light is for us personally, knowing that I was going to be preaching this, this text, I think the Lord kind of spoke to me in another way. That here we are, we're sailing through this darkness with the world represented on this, on this boat. And I just felt a bit overwhelmed at the thought that this is a picture of the reality that many on this boat are on for real. Just sailing through this world in complete and utter darkness, and I'm not even sure they realize it. And the thing about it is, is it's not just true about a cruise ship. That's true about your world every day. That there are people all around you who are just sailing through this life in complete and utter darkness. They don't even realize the darkness that they're in. That's true about your coworkers and your friends and your family, your neighbors, those who live around you. And I believe, I believe this word is true. And I think you probably do too. That's why you're here. And this word says that Christ alone is the light of the world and that life outside of him is darkness that leads straight to death. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so the presence of God, the protection of God, the guidance of God, yeah, that's all true for you and we praise God for it, but it's not just true for you, it's true for the world. That means everybody. So Christian in the room, can I show you what Jesus calls you, what he calls us? Matthew chapter five, verse 14. Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. Maybe he's thinking about the temple scene in Jerusalem, those lamps. Maybe he's thinking of that. The city that's up on this hill can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Live so that others can see the light. Do you understand the weight of that statement? He's talking about us. He's talking about the church. That there is a world walking in darkness, desperate for the light. Without it, they die. And Jesus says, that they'll see the light in us. That's heavy, isn't it? That's some pressure. And so I think it's worth asking ourselves, are we taking this whole thing seriously enough? Are we taking this whole thing seriously enough? Like, yes, we praise God for the presence of God in our lives, for the protection of God in our lives, for the guidance of God in our lives. We praise God for that. And all that is true, believer. Like if you're a Christian, that is true for you. But I believe that we should also pray that we would actually live on mission, that we would actually reflect this light to a dark world that desperately needs it. 
Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.